Almighty God, we are grateful that your word is living and strong, powerful, powerful to bring us to faith and to teach us how to follow you day by day. Would we do that well? In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Uh, Well, it's your typical Sunday. Uh, Maybe you'll go home and have some lunch a bit later on. Maybe you'll have plans to go out for a little walk. And I want you to imagine that you have done that and you've been away from your phone. You just haven't looked at your phone for a little while. Uh, You come to look at your phone, maybe pull it out of a pocket or from a phone charging point, and what you see really surprises you. Seven missed calls. Loads of messages that have come in. And as you scan through the missed calls, uh, you realize loads of different people in the church family have been trying to get in touch with you. Uh, You realize not only that, but as you read through the messages, uh, something weird is happening. Um, There seem to be police cars uh, outside the homes of some of the staff team. Uh, No one trying to get in touch having seen those messages with some other people you know in the church family, and you can't get through. Imagine that was the scenario that you find yourself in. You begin, as you read the messages, to panic, realizing that actually having been to St. John's means the police are going to come and want to question you, find out whether you're really a Christian. Maybe you're not a Christian here this morning, just looking into things. Think, gosh, this was a crazy Sunday to turn up. Police going to be at the door. And the reason we're starting with this thought experiment this morning is that that's where we find ourselves as we hit this passage of Acts chapter 8. So I want to give you just 30 seconds with the people around you or by yourself if you prefer. Imagine that that had been your reality this afternoon. You, you see the missed calls, you realize police of this family arresting them. You don't quite know what will happen. How would you react? What would you do? Maybe you're sat with people in your household here. You can chat with them. What would be your reaction in that moment? So 30 seconds, chat with the person next to you. What would you do? Maybe over coffee you can come and tell me uh, what you would have planned to have done. I'm pretty sure that's not what will happen if you go home this afternoon. Don't worry too much. But it was the reality for the church in Acts chapter 8. It'd be really helpful if you've got a Bible uh, near you to go back to page 1101. I'll give you a moment just to get there. 1101. Because the situation last week, as we saw, Tom helpfully took us through, that actually the stakes are huge in Acts. Stephen has become the first martyr of the church. And if you look with me at at, uh, chapter 8, verse 3, so just above the passage from today, just as we finished last week, but Paul began to destroy the church. That's such a strong word, isn't it? Destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Bleak. And this is an early church. Actually, we know some of the story, even just from what we've heard read, but imagine we knew nothing of that. This is a crisis point. One church gathered in Jerusalem And now, actively, house to house, they're going, finding people and putting them in prison. And you don't know what the outcome will be. One has already been killed. Maybe many more will die. And it doesn't take much for us to imagine the situation where you think, if that's me, I've I've got to get out. It's not safe for me to stay in my home anymore. Of course, vividly for us, we're seeing it, aren't we, day after day, refugees from Ukraine 
families having to decide whether to risk staying or risk going. Children being asked to choose one toy to take with them. Well, it's the same. These are just ordinary people. Sometimes we think that the Bible stories are about extraordinary people like the Avengers or the X-Men or some superhumans. They're not. They're just like you and me. And they're faced with this challenge. What are they going to do? Well, as we head into today's passage, we see some of the things that they do. Uh, Verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. There is a kind of scattering here of people just leaving Jerusalem, leaving their familiar church, not long started, and going here, there, and everywhere. And as you continue to read through the book of Acts, you realize that it's it's not neat and tidy. It's not like they had a church planting program and they said, right, we're in Jerusalem, we're going to do this and this and this. It just kind of happens. In fact, um, as you read through, sometimes you see times where you're like, who even went to this church? How did it get started? Where did this come from? It remains a bit of a mystery how it kind of got going. And I reckon lots of that came from this verse here. The people, ordinary people, just like you and me, who are scattered. And as they're scattered, they speak something of what they know of Jesus Christ. Of what it's like to have been church in Jerusalem. And they start making little churches elsewhere. Maybe groups go off together. Maybe just individuals. Maybe households and families, friends. And as they're scattered, they they speak. They speak of Jesus. And we're going to get kind of a case study in a minute of Philip, and we're going to get another one next week of what it was like in that scattering. But I was thinking that actually we know some of the story, but it's kind of remarkable that the church at this point isn't just utterly destroyed. Not necessarily that people would stop talking about Jesus, but actually that they wouldn't know enough to be able to go and plant other churches. Or that, I mean, think of the people in Ukraine right now. Um, If you're that displaced, my primary instinct would be to think, I need to find a job, I need to find somewhere safe, I need to work out what country I'm going to be in, I need to kind of plan for my future as best I can, I need to think about the people I've left behind. And I'm sure that was very true for these ordinary people in Acts chapter 8. But they also take this thing with them called the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done. And they speak that where they go, probably still having to find jobs and relocate and try and worry about whether Paul is going to come up to their city now and find them. But they take this message of the gospel. Um, It's a bit like a confetti cannon. I don't know if you've ever seen a confetti cannon. Um, I've only once ever used a confetti cannon. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's like a giant party popper okay? Um, So, like, huge. I remember we did it once um, in our church, and it it kind of comes with a warning that it will be very dramatic, and uh, you need two hands, and you take two hands, and you twist, and as you twist, it kind of explodes out this confetti. Um, I was quite nervous about this, because I knew I'd be the one that had to clean it up at the end, uh, and I wasn't sure how far this confetti would go. It's a church kind of similar size to here, uh, and I was stood at the front with one other helper, Um, And it was kind of our finale at the end of the service. Uh, I think it was Christmas time. We were doing something really exciting. We had this kind of confetti cannon. And I wasn't sure how dramatic a kind of explosion it would be. So we kind of tentatively turned this thing, kind of imagining maybe it would kind of go 
it went absolutely everywhere. I mean, Corinne sitting at the back, she wouldn't have been safe. I couldn't believe, the, I don't, probably I shouldn't have used it inside, maybe even. And certainly for weeks, I was finding bits of confetti all over the place. Couldn't believe the different places that it ended up. And it's like this. God uses this very dark, very difficult incident with Stephen, like a giant confetti cannon to get his word out. It explodes out. And actually, from this point in Acts, it's never going to just go back to Jerusalem. Um, I told you before, it's not neat and tidy, so there is still going to be a church in Jerusalem. People are going to come and go from there. It's still going to be important. The Jews are going to still be really important in the story. But it's going to go out, go beyond. As indeed, many of the Old Testament prophecies had always predicted. So as we think of the story and we see the case studies over the next three weeks, think about the confetti cannon. It just gets everywhere. And of course, the challenge for us as we get into this story is to think, well, how do we get the kind of power of the gospel out there? We're all here right now at St. John's, but we are going to scatter. We do it every week. We scatter into homes and streets and work and school and college. What would it mean for us to be church scattered with this gospel word? Ordinary people sharing about Jesus. Maybe inviting a friend to come and find out a bit more. Maybe saying, hey, that sounds really tough, I'll, I'll pray for you. Maybe taking a, a risk and saying, oh, I was at church on Sunday when we were thinking about this. Well, that's what we're going to see. So we're 3.1, preach and scatter. That's just what they do, that's their default. And we're heading to point two, preach in Samaria. Um, if you've got the handout, you'll see a stunning graphical design that I've added an exclamation mark and a question mark. Oh my goodness, I know, how creative. Preach in Samaria. What is going on here? And this is the bulk of the rest of our passage. Verse 5. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all played close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And one of the things I've really loved about being part of the church family at St. John's and being here Sunday by Sunday is that second Bible reading. It helps us join up, doesn't it? Bits of the Bible from elsewhere to our passage of the day. And the reason I thought it'd be good to go for that particular passage is it's a really kind of fantastic encounter with Jesus and a woman of Samaria. Uh, John, in his dialogue, says, um, she's kind of stunned that Jesus is talking to her because Jews and Samarit um, yeah, people from Samaria, they don't, like, they don't associate, they don't mix. Um, actually, it's kind of a really distinct divide. We remember at the start of Acts that Jesus himself, the risen Lord Jesus, said that the gospel would go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Samaria specifically mentions, and here we have it, the gospel going to them. We also got in that passage from, uh, where, uh, in John's gospel that she knows something of the Messiah. Do you remember that when it was just read? I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will do this He'll reveal everything to us. And um, See, Samaria, it, it, it knew something of the history, but there'd been a separation. Separation from the people of Israel. 
and they were kind of looked on as kind of second class, if even that. They didn't mix, they, they weren't particularly welcome, and it's why it's so amazing that Jesus extends his kind of kingdom very clearly to that woman. Samaria. And here we've got Philip, uh, not one of the, dis, uh, the apostles, but uh, someone in the church, Philip, uh, mentioned in the chapter earlier as having a serving role. Philip, he goes out to Samaria, and he proclaims the Messiah there. He speaks to them about what they know. A bit like if we were thinking of kind of engaging with people today, we might think, well, what do people know? They, they might not know the word Messiah. They might not know much of the Bible but they instinctively might know of future hope. They, they have dreams and longing for rest. That might be a connection point. Or they might really wrestle with science and God, and so you might invite them to the event coming up in a few days' time. Or they might really want to know about suffering, and, and that'll be the kind of connection point. Well, Philip, he contextualizes. He starts with the point of connection, which is all about the Messiah. He speaks about the Messiah. And notice in verse 6, we're going to get this phrase again, they paid close attention to what he said. Start listening in. Start hearing about what he has been saying. Now, there's also incredible power. We're going to see why that's important in a second. Incredible power for healing and for uh, driving out impure spirits. And notice that the combined effect of his words and his powerful ministry, verse 8, is a great joy within the city. When the gospel comes, it brings great joy to them. But notice the context, because in Samaria, there's this man named Simon. He's been boasting that he was someone great. What a great little phrase. <laughs> he's boasting that he's someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention. Okay, so what's going on here? Uh, we've got Simon, and he holds people's attention by the stuff that he can do, by the kind of signs that he can produce, by the things that he can, can do. And everyone seems around in Samaria knows Simon. When he turns up, he's the one who has the spotlight upon him. And then Philip rocks up, Philip who's just been driven out of Jerusalem, and Philip comes and he has the spotlight upon him. And they kind of have to choose. Are they going to listen to Philip and give him the close attention to his gospel message, or are they going to listen to Simon? Simon's been around, and he's been able to do some stuff, but Philip's stuff is remarkable. Simon's stuff makes Simon look great like a somebody. Philip's stuff brings great joy to the people of the city. Healings and, and uh, radical life change. And so what happens is that Simon himself, verse 13, follows him, along with many others, verse 12. They believe, as Philip proclaims the good news. He proclaims about Jesus Christ, and they're baptized. Notice, both men and women, transformational across the community. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Peter everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So now you've got the one who used to give attention and say, I'm somebody great, listen to me. And he's literally following everywhere that's, uh, that Philip goes. His life has changed. Although we got a question, and we'll see in a minute, whether it really has. Let's draw a breath, though. Preach in Samaria, the gospel going there. Well, the risk is that this might corrupt the church. That's certainly what the Jews might have thought, the early Christians. They haven't wanted to associate before. 
Think of it a bit like this. Uh, imagine if someone who bullied you at school rocked up at church this morning. That might cause you a little bit of anxiety just to see them again. Or imagine that we had a whole load of Jehovah's Witnesses come into the church wanting to kind of find out the differences between. You might think, oh, I, I don't... 100 Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, that's... How do I engage with that? Or let's imagine that there's just another group of people en masse who come who you don't really know. It just changes the demographic, doesn't it? And you think, hmm, what's the impact of this going to be? Is the gospel, has, has Philip gone rogue by taking the gospel? Has he gone on off on his own thing? Well, the answer is no. The gospel really is to go to Samaria, and indeed, as we're going to see in future weeks, to the ends of the earth. Verse 14, when the apostles heard uh, in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is a big Bible verse. Um, lots going on here, and some people might argue, and I think, you know, you can see some reason why, that actually for Christians, we need one baptism first, and then a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. Personally, I think something unique is probably going on here in Samaria. Notice that the apostles come from Jerusalem. We've got this question, should we let these people in, these, these Samaritans? We've not wanted to associate with them before. Should we bring them in now? Is that really the right thing to do? And we see that the apostles kind of rubber stamp that. We see that the Holy Spirit, God rubber stamps that by giving them the Holy Spirit. And Peter and John, in a way, kind of validate this incredible recognition that the Gospels, even to go to the Samaritans, even them, they are as worthy as being part of God's kingdom as anyone else. I think one line of application for us within this is that some within the church family here today will naturally feel like they don't really deserve, don't really belong in God's eyes as much to St. John's as, as other people do. Some people really you know, should be here, but others might feel like, no, I, I'm kind of on the outside, on the kind of edge of the Christian life. I might have just snuck in, but gosh, if you really knew the sin within my life, if you knew how much I struggle to do some of the basic things that a Christian's meant to do, oh, if they knew that, yeah. And automatically they disqualify themselves and they say, no, it's, it's not really for me. Uh, maybe, maybe I can just about believe the promises of Jesus. But this passage and next week's passage too is going to confirm to us that it's a flat playing field. Each and every one of us as welcome into God's kingdom as anyone else. Each and every one of us gathered, adopted into God's family. And Peter and John, the apostles, are validating the Samaritans, these people being in God's kingdom. So if you feel like, well, is it really for me? Well, this week and next week should absolutely make you feel like, yes, gospel's for everyone. And for those of us that feel maybe more confident, 
the challenge is to think, if your school bully or the person that you find really difficult at work really did rock up into church, would you think that they really belong? Are they as welcome as we think? It's a good challenge for us. Well, we're heading into point three. We've seen that the people, they go, they scatter and preach. They preach even in Samaria. But now, is it really a gospel for all? Um, I don't know about you, sometimes I uh, think about when I was a younger person, younger Christian, or just younger uh, anyway, and uh, I look back and I think, gosh, I did some really daft things. Uh, One time, I remember, we were trying to help um, move some giant uh, blocks, some staging equipment, and we were trying to take it like five-minute drive away. So we loaded this stuff into a van, and I was like, how are we going to support this? How are we going to do this? And so someone naively said, well, we've got a bit of string. We'll just tie this thing up, and it'll be fine in the back of the van. Well, okay, that's probably not the best idea we've ever had, but that's okay. Then they said, look, it's going to take ages if you walk and we drive. Why don't you four guys hop into the back of the van, and you just kind of sit there and have your hands out like this, and hopefully this very heavy staging block won't fall on you and injure you. So one by one, we got in the back of the van. The doors were shut, absolute pitch black, and there we were. And as soon as that door shut, I thought, gosh, this is really stupid. This is, this is, all I could hear, actually, it's Mother's Day, all I could hear was my mum's voice in my head saying, why have you done this? I was imagining that she would get the phone call to say, yeah, Matthew and some of his friends, they've ended up in A&E. And my mum calls me Matthew. She'd say, Matthew, why? Why did you do this? This is... What were, you, what were you thinking? And we get a kind of what were you thinking moment coming up from Simon. Uh, you see, I wonder if the Jews back in Jerusalem and, and those who are scattered are wondering, should we really let the Samaritans in? That we've got our nice little church, which we're getting in a nice little order. If we let other people in, it's going to be messy. Uh, if we here at St. John's throw open the doors wide and invite lots of random people in, it's going to get complicated, isn't it? It's nicer just to kind of keep with us, and and we kind of know what we're doing, and we we kind of get on with each other. We just keep it small. And in this moment, when you see Simon, you could see, well, the challenge is, is the gospel really for everyone? Shouldn't we just keep it to our little closed group? Because some people are going to say and do some things that are really immature, really silly. Simon does this at this point. Simon's eyes light up when he sees the kind of power that Philip and the apostles bring. Verse 18. When Simon saw that a spirit was given by the laying on of hands, he offered money and said, give me this ability so that everyone on whom I may lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon, who's wanted to have a great status, great name, is going backwards, isn't he? And it reminds us in chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira, um, who wanted to kind of do that stuff with money and have the status but not give all the money. And immediately alarm bells go in our head and we think, oh no. We've just realized that the gospel can be for Samaria too, and then people like Philip are going to ruin it. They're going to ruin it. Peter answered very sternly, may your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that you may be forgiven, or he may forgive you, for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Dramatic moment. 
Simon, who was someone, has become a believer and is just failing miserably. Just, why would he even think this? And of course, it's just tangible because that's how his old life worked. Not complete transformation, is it? Uh, We retain lots of our old self that we're kind of working through. Uh, Simon, in some level of desperation, I'm sure, having said that, like, yeah, you might perish as well, says, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Uh, We didn't see that, did we, with Ananias and Sapphira? They were willing to keep it covert and secret. They didn't ask for any help. Here we've got Simon crying out to the Lord. You see, the reality is that as we let more people into the kingdom of God, younger believers, new people who haven't really found their way, they're going to make all kinds of mistakes. They're going to be in some situation and they're going to realize, gosh, this is not the right thing. Thankfully, I survived, by the way, in the back of the van. I wasn't crushed to death. That was good. But I tell you what, if someone asked me now, do you want to get into the back of a van with a bit of string tied up against these giant... I'd say, no way. I hope I have learnt from that. And I hope that Simon, we're not actually told the outcome, but I hope that Simon has learnt from this encounter. There's certainly something of hope, I think, here in these cry out. Pray to the Lord for me. You see, as we open the doors wide at St. John's, as the gospel includes more and more people, it's going to get more complicated. It's going to get more messy. Some of you at school or college, if you invite your friends to come and they actually start coming, they might say, well, why don't you do this? Uh, If we invite someone to the science event, they might say, gosh, you really think that? I thought you were a bit crazy, but now you believe what that guy said? Oh, my goodness. Uh, We invite people to come and be part of our church family, new Christians. They're going to have all kinds of ideas. They're going to say, why don't we do this or that or the other? But actually, that's part of the way God's family grows. Not in a linear progression saying, we're going to plant a church here and we're going to do this. But as people are scattered and preach, ordinary people just like you and me, as the church grows even to enemies, even to those who will be difficult, we see that the gospel really is for everyone. Not just for ourselves, not to be kept, but to be shared. As we head towards a close, let's just look at verse 25, which I think further emphasizes this point. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus... Peter and John return to Jerusalem. What do they do as they go? Preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. It's opened out, not just one little incident with Philip, but opened out to many Samaritan villages. Good news, as the gospel spreads and spreads. And yet, we're left on tenterhooks because I'm guessing most of us haven't got to the place where we look into our ancestry and say, yeah, we're kind of from Jewish or Sumerian descent. So how's the gospel going to go even more radically beyond that? Well, we'll keep coming back and we'll see that in the series. But as we close, two things for us to think in terms of challenges for us. Firstly, this week, uh, in fact, this very day, in a few moments' time, we're going to scatter We're going to scatter from this place. We'll be church family scattered. What will we do? Will just a tiny part of what we do be witnessing? Witnessing with our lives, with our words, about who Jesus is and what he's done. And secondly, if we're going to do that, will we understand the power of the gospel? In Romans, we're told that the gospel is like dynamite. It's powerful. 
one of the best things about being on the church weekend away was hearing people's testimonies, chatting to people and saying, how did you end up at St. John's? How did you become a Christian? It's a powerful thing. And this kind of Passion for Life series, people will become Christians up and down the country. Uh, I used to work with uni students, and I remember having conversations where someone would say, oh yeah, uh, this person, let's say Lydia, just became a Christian, and we're praying for Tom because he seems really close, and our friend Fred, uh, he's asking lots of great questions. It was just this expectation that as the powerful gospel goes out, it does its work. Not to each and every person to save and transform all in one go, but it's powerful, and it will change lives. It'll change lives in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So actually, will we be convicted of that? And we'll just, maybe even 1% of our week this week, be witnessing of Jesus, living and speaking for him. Oh, that power, as we scatter from St. John's, well, it could be just the most remarkable thing that the world has ever seen. Let's pray that we would use the opportunities that will come our way this week. Almighty God, we thank you that all are welcome into your church family, all adopted, all in need of grace. We thank you, Lord, that the difference this makes transforms life, brings great joy. We thank you for that validation that the gospel was for these people and is for us. And we pray that as we scatter, we might take something of that hope with us, that you would open our eyes to the harvest field, that you would give us conviction of the power of your word, And that bit by bit, day by day, those around us would be changed and transformed, that they may too encounter this saving hope. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.